we're going to be talking about a man of the name, by the name of Gideon. Now some of you may have heard of Gideon. He was one of the judges of Israel. And if you're doing your devotions, we've already gone through the book of Judges. But it's such an interesting story. And I want to begin with our four circles of New Hope and who God has called us to be as a church. And we've gone through this in the past weeks that the four circles of New Hope are our services like we saw this past Sunday. If you're here for our Easter service, we really focused a lot on introducing new people to Jesus Christ. That's why everything was geared towards new people as well as us remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But our services are one of our circles. Small groups are one of them. Serving. There are a lot of servants right now uh, that are behind the cameras uh, with our children who are cleaning the kitchen uh, and teaching and doing ushering and, and all sorts of things. So that's one of our circles. And then stewardship. And so we said, you know, Sundays and Wednesdays are our services. These various small groups serving in the church or outside of the church. And stewardship. But tonight we're going to be talking mostly about the stewardship of our spirit. Because that's the one that really uh, tears us apart. You know, when our spirit is not doing well, then everything else is not doing well. It's almost like if mom is not doing well, nobody's doing well. So she's like the spirit of the home. Well, everyone has a spirit to their home. And if the spirit is not doing well, then everything else is not going to do well. At the same time, if the spirit is doing well, then regardless of the circumstances, you'll be okay. You'll be able to conquer even the most difficult times and seasons that come up. Now imagine if you were given an assignment to battle an army of 135,000 men. 135,000 men. And your army was about 35,000. And that, that was the odds. And not only that, you had to think through how you're going to strategically beat these other guys. And that's pretty much the story of Gideon. The story of Gideon is about odds. It's about how he's going to conquer and be victorious in the battle that he faces. So maybe you don't have 135,000 uh, people in front of you like an army, but maybe you're in debt $135,000 and you have to conquer that. Or you have 135,000 reasons to call it quits. Or you have 135,000 people say negative things about you. Or 135,000 things that you have done in your life that is holding you down now and you're reaping the consequences. Or maybe 135,000 pounds of weight holding you down of stress. Just stress all day. Like all day you just feel tense and you don't really do anything uh, strenuous, but you feel this, this tightness in your neck all the time and you're always just stretching your neck, you're stretching your back, or you pick up a pencil and your back goes out and you're wondering, what happened? I didn't even do anything. It could be that your body is keeping record of stress. And so all of us have a tendency to have some type of battle in front of us and sometimes every day is a battle. It could be in our marriage. It could be in our family or with our job situation. It could be anything that we face, but there's a battle that happens. Now, the story of Gideon is found in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses, uh, actually chapters 6 through 8. And it gives such a story of how God can move in a person's life when they stay close to the Lord. 
And the story of Gideon is basically this farmer, this guy Gideon, who is greeted by the Lord because Israel, the nation of Israel, has rebelled once again and done evil in the sight of the Lord. And so one of the surrounding nations, called the Midianites, come against the Israelites, God's chosen people, for seven years they struggle. And so the people cry out to God. But the problem was not just that they were evil in the sight of God, but God gave them over to the Midianites because they were were rebellious against God. And God says, okay, if you don't want me to lead you, then lead yourselves. And so they begin to lead themselves. And in those days, they had no king, so they did whatever was pleasing in their own eyes. Well, the Midianites were very smart because what they did was, because they had so many people, they would encamp around the Israelites, and the Israelites would have to kind of dig themselves into a hole in the rocks. And so that's how they built their city. And then the Midianites, once the, once the Israelites would sow seed for farming, the Midianites would come in and destroy all of their crops. So now the Israelites are without food. They're famished. And so now they're dying from starvation. Well, Gideon gets this message from the Lord, and the Lord says, you will defeat the Midianites. And Gideon is thinking, how is this going to happen? And God says, I'm going to use you to rise up and defeat the Midianites. And Gideon is saying, how can that be? I'm the weakest in my, in my tribe. There's no possible way this is going to happen. And the Lord says, I will be with you. And he even tells Gideon, you are a valiant man. And I will be with you. And so Gideon gets strength from the Lord. And, and so he says, hang on, Lord. Let me go get an offering. And so he brings an offering and, and it gets burnt up before the Lord. And he says, what, what do you want me to do? And the first thing the Lord tells Gideon is, go destroy all of the foreign gods that are in your nation right now. Go destroy all of those foreign gods. Destroy all of the worship to Baal. Destroy the altars that are, are set up to, for all of these foreign gods. Break those down. Well, Gideon, he's thinking, well, if I break them down, then the people are going to get mad at me. So Gideon, being a, a valiant warrior, goes at night so no one sees him. So he's kind of, he's a little afraid. I mean, you would be too. But he's also smart in saying, but I'm going to obey you, Lord. I'm still going to destroy the, the, the altars. So he goes out nighttime, destroys all the altars. Altars. The people wake up. They see all the altars destroyed. And they said, who, who did this? Who could this be? And then they find out it's Gideon. Now they want to kill Gideon. Now imagine Gideon. He's thinking, wait a minute, Lord, you told me to do this. Now they want to kill me. And so now they want, their, they want his head. Well, they go to his father and say, hey, look, we got to kill your son. Because he did these things. And Gideon's dad says, hang on. Who are we supposed to be worshiping anyway? And so the Lord visits Gideon a second time and says, Gideon, you're going to take out the Midianites. And Gideon says, how is this going to be? And, and Lord, if it is through me, if it is, I'm, I'm going to, can I just put you to a test, Lord? Just like a, just a, a, a quick, I, I just need my faith to be built. And so remember, he, he grabs the fleece and then he brings it out and he says, okay, Lord, uh, if this is you, then when I wake up in the morning, may everything around this fleece be dry, but the fleece soaking wet. So it seems like an impossible task. Well, he wakes up in the morning, 
goes outside and sees the whole ground dry, picks up the fleece and wrings out a, a bowl of water. So he's thinking, okay, this is you, Lord, this is you. But then his, he's thinking, wait a minute, let's, let's try the opposite just in case. Okay, Lord, please don't get mad at me. Just, I just need to know for sure. So he says, I'll put the fleece out again. Now this time I want it to be opposite. Can you make everything around the fleece wet and then the fleece dry? Now Gideon is a farmer, so he understands scientific properties of dryness and water. So he's trying to do what is impossible so that God would show him what is possible. And so he sets it out. Next morning he gets up. Sure enough, all around the fleece is soaking wet. Picks up the fleece. It's dry. Aha, it's the Lord. So he's, he's, he's ready to go. So he says, okay, Lord, we're ready to go. How are we going to do this? He says, well, uh, you have too many men. He says, what do you mean I have too many men? They have 135,000. We got like 30,000. And he says, yeah, so uh, you need to tell all those who are fearful, go home. He says, oh, okay. So he tells all those who are fearful, if you're fearful of going into war with the Midianites, then go home. 22,000 leave. They're like, okay, bye, I'm out of here. I ain't signing up for this. I got some things to do. I got a, I got a career. I got children. I'm going to get married. So they, they go home. Now he's left with, a, you know, 10,000 maybe around there. And so he says, okay, God, I, I, I got 10,000. And the Lord says, nope, still too much. Lest you think it's you who won the battle. So he says, take them down to the river and then tell them to drink water. And all those who drink water like a dog, which the Bible says, you know, they go to the water and drink, tell them to go home. But those who bring the water up to them, up to their mouths, those are the ones that will stay. Now I'm thinking, you know, for Gideon, maybe he's thinking, okay, I'm going to tell everyone to drink from their hands, but he can't get in the way of what God wants to do. So I can imagine Gideon watching 10,000 soldiers drinking water, and he sees only 300 of them drinking water like a man. That's what the Bible says, drinking water like this. And the difference was when they would bow down and drink water, that means as a warrior, you're never ready for the enemy. But those who brought water to their mouths, they were always ready for battle. And so there were only 300 men who did that. And so Gideon says, okay, all you guys who drank water like a dog, go home. So they all went home. So 300 left. Now God says to Gideon, okay, with these 300, you're going to defeat the Midianites. And here's how. Take a jar, a pitcher, and put some fire in it with a torch. And then encamp yourself around the Midianites. Put 100 on each side and just surround them. And then blow the trumpet and then break the jars with the torches and then just surround them and, and let me do my part. And so Gideon tells his guys, uh, this is the plan. Well, Gideon is kind of still battling with some fear. And he says, Lord, I don't know if this is going to be possible. I mean, I, I, I'm good with the fleece, but what kind of strategy is this? I mean, we're going to surround them with lights and, and just blow the trumpet. And they're all going to come out, 135,000 of them. I see you guys. Pew, 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 pew. 300 of us dead from 135,000 of them. So I don't know if that's going to work, Lord. 
And the Lord says, okay, this is what I want you to do, Gideon. Take your servant with you. Go to their camp. Just kind of sneak up on them, ninja-like sneak up, and listen to the story they're talking about. And so he creeps up and he listens. And here are two guys talking story. And one guy says, I had a dream last night. And the other guy says, oh, what was it about? Well, a, like a loaf of barley bread went through the whole entire Midianite camp and destroyed us. And one guy, the other guy says, hey, that's, that's got to be the sword of Gideon. Now Gideon is thinking, that's me. They're talking about me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come through. They had a dream about me. I, that, okay, so Lord, if that's you, then let that happen. So that inspired Gideon. And when they surrounded the Midianites, they broke the pitchers with the fire blew the trumpets, and the Midianites woke up, not knowing what's happening, got out of their tents, looking around, okay, whoa, 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 what's going on, what's going on? And then they, they, they were just freaking out, and I don't know if they were still in their pajamas or what they were looking like, how they were dressed, but they didn't recognize who was who. So they just started killing whoever was near them. Oh, Billy, my bad. I never, I never know that was you. And so they kill each other. Their camp killed each other. And so they're just slaughtering each other in the dark, not knowing what's going on, so confused. And then many of them started to flee, and then the Lord says, now go get them. And so Gideon, with the 300 men, take out the Midianites. Now, it seems like an easy story. You just follow God. He'll, he'll tell you to, you know, light some fires, blow some trumpets, and then you're ready to go, and you can, you can conquer everyday battles. But just like Gideon, you and I will still face our fears and doubts. We're going to have that come in. We're going to say to God, okay, God, show me a sign. God, uh, can, can, can you just uh, inspire me? Can you just show me something today? Or we open his word and say, God, just show me something. And God is always faithful to show up. See, we want to look at how we can, how we can defeat everyday battles. What can we learn from Gideon? As we deal with these battles so that we can be victorious in the end. Because even as Christians, we know we're victorious in Jesus. But there are just some days where the battle seems too big. And it feels like we're defeated before we even begin. No matter what the odds, every person can be victorious in everyday battles. By following God's path to victory. In these ways. And this is what we're going to talk about. And if you are taking notes, here's the first thing I want us to remember. To be consistent with the Lord. Be consistent with the Lord. It's almost like if we're not consistent with the Lord, then we're going to be behind all the time on trying to catch up with the basic principles of God. Be consistent with the Lord, not inconsistent, not, on, not only when we need something from him, but a continuous, consistent relationship. One of our core values says daily devotions and prayer are paramount to strengthening a relationship with Jesus. That's one of our core values, that our daily devotions, being in the word of God, is paramount to a strengthening relationship with the Lord. We need his word. It's like a marriage. If we get married and we never spend time with each other, we never talk to each other, you never go on date nights anymore, you never find out what's happening in each other's lives and, and you're inconsistent in your marriage, it won't be too long till your marriage is not doing well. And it's just the same with 
our relationship with God. He says there has to be consistency with it. Don't wait till you're defeated and then cry out to God. Because now he's not even taking care of the battle. He's taking care of you feeling defeated. You can't even get to the battle. He has to withdraw you from being victorious in the battle so that you can be victorious just with the way you feel. Just with where you are in life. And so if it's always this cycle where, okay, I'm inconsistent. Oh, Lord, I need to get back to you. We can never receive his promises. That's actually what happened to the judges. They were going through this cycle over and over for about 300 years. They would, they would rebel against God. Then they would be, get captured by their enemies. And then they would cry out to God. And then God would rescue them or raise up a leader. And then they would follow God and then rebel against God. Do evil in the sight of the Lord. And then they would feel defeated and lost. And then they would cry out to God. God would raise up someone, rescue them. They would come close to God. And then they would rebel against God. They would do evil in the sight of God. They did that for 300 years. Over and over again. But what is interesting is it has not changed today. We still do the same things today. We come close to God and then everything's going well, and then we forget about God, and then things go bad, and then we cry out to God, and then God rescues us, draws us close to him, and then we rebel against God again. And then we do evil in the sight of God, and we fall away from God, and then we're so far from him, then we cry out to him, and then God comes back. And it's just a cycle that goes on over and over again. See, God wants us not... Not to just be victorious in coming back to him. He wants us to be victorious in receiving his promises. We, we have not even entered the promises of God by going through this cycle. We're still back here going in circles. It's like that hamster on that wheel. Oh, the hamster looks fun. It's like, oh, that's the best thing ever. Hamster's like, yeah, it's the greatest toy in the world. But you ain't going nowhere. You got food and water, a cage, you're good. But we're not caged hamsters. We're the people of God who has promises on the outside available for us. But if we're still on that wheel, then God says, what can I do? Now, the Midianites starved the Israelites. And because the Israelites were starving and they were weak, they had to cry out to God. They didn't know what else to do. Judges 6, verse 6 says, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. See, there is a big difference between, between being weak and he is strong. With I am weak because I've been avoiding God. There's a big difference because the Bible says where I am weak, he is strong. But that is much different than I am weak because I've been avoiding God. Because some of us will think, no, where I'm weak, there he is, he's strong. Well, we're taking it out of context. We say, I'm weak, therefore he's strong, not necessarily. In my weakness in him, I am strong, not my weakness in me. We can, we can create our own weakness. We can disobey God, create our own weakness, and then we say, but in my weakness, he is strong. No, in your weakness, you are weak. But in your weakness with him... You are strong because he is strong. See, we, if we separate ourselves from God, it takes, us, it takes a, a lot out of us to get back close to God. 
Not because God is distant, but because we've ran so far from God. It takes a lot out of us to get back close to him because we're thinking, how how is God going to accept me? What do I need to do to change? Uh, Peter, one of the uh, disciples, said it so well in John 6, 68. He said, when, when Jesus said, all the disciples have left. You know, Jesus had more than 12, and, and many of them left, except for those 12. And he said to Peter, Peter, you're going to leave too? He said to the other disciples, the other 11, you guys are going to leave too? And in John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. Like Peter found out what was the key element in being consistent with the Lord and it was the Lord. That's what it was. And, and Peter said, well, where, where can I go? I can't go anywhere else. Only you have the words to life. And so the Israelites were greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And so they were weak. You know, when you first go on a diet, you're weak. I mean, if you go on that, those, you know, those just those strict diets, you just, you know, drink water and dirt. That's like the strictest diet possible. And you're just weak. You lose a lot of weight, but you're weak. And there's a difference with feeling weak because you're dieting versus feeling weak because you're starving. Now, when you're dieting a healthy diet, you're going to feel weak because it's taking out all the toxins or you're trying to get your nutrition in balance. So you're going to feel a little weakness. But that's different from starvation. And what the Midianites were causing the Israelites to experience was starvation. Just absolutely no food. And that's exactly what the devil tries to do with us. He tries to starve us from the word of God. So that anytime we have a battle up ahead, we're too weak for the battle. We can't even fight the battle ahead of us. Don't wait till you're impoverished. God is not a refrigerator that we only go to him when we're Hungry, ready for battle. Because let's just say you starve yourself physically and then you're weak. And then here comes an army. You think that once you eat food right there on the spot, you're going to be ready to go? If, you've, if you have not eaten food in a while, you need to recuperate. Your muscles need to get back into shape. You're not going to be ready. And so it is. If the devil can get us to be more distant from the Lord and be inconsistent, he can get us with any battle. Any little battle that comes our way, he can take us down just like that. Why? Because we're weak on the inside. And then we think what is, what looks good is really not because we're starving. If you're starving, a cracker will do. It'll do. Oh, those crackers taste so good when you're starving. But if you're not starving... And you're eating steak and you're eating good food and your, your nutrition is, is replenishing your body. The cracker will taste a little different because you already have nutrition. Is my relationship with the Lord consistent? That's what we got to ask ourselves. See, he wants a relationship, not another religion. God wants a close relationship with us because he knows that in the battles we face... We are usually outnumbered. It's usually the odds against us. It's usually in our fears. It's usually at the wrong timing. It's usually 
a lack of faith or, or something is kind of holding us down and God says, I'm going to be there with you. Therefore, he says this, the second thing he told Gideon, to trust me. So for us, trust God more than my abilities. We all have some type of ability, but God says to Gideon, if you have this army with you, even the 30,000 or even 10,000, if you have this army, you're going to think it was you. But it's not you. It's going to be me, and I'll prove it. Send 300 out in the way I told you to, and you will be victorious. See, it's when the odds are against us that God shows us his greatest miracles. But we must remember that miracles do not create faith in us. Miracles do not remove fear in us. Miracles bring glory to God. And when God is glorified and God's love is in us, now there goes the fear. When God's love is in us, there's our faith being built. Because how often people will see the same miracle, but no change in fear. Fear is still there. Oh, God's love casts out all fear. Some of us look for miracles and wait for miracles more than we look for the miracle maker. And the Bible tells us in Romans 1.25, instead of believing that they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. And that's Romans 1.25. It's interesting because for some reason I think it's we who are victorious only coming to a place of defeat. We think it's us. that oh, Because of me and what I did and my own hands, my own thinking. And we feel we can do it on our own. I like this story I want to tell you. One day a group of scientists got together and they decided that man had come a long way and no longer needed God. So they picked one scientist to go and tell God that they were done with him. And so the scientist walked up to God and said, God, we've all decided as mankind that we no longer need you. We're to the point where we can clone people and do many miraculous things. So uh, you, you can just move on. And we don't need you, God, so you can get lost. So God listened very patiently and kindly to the man. And after the scientists were done talking, God said, okay, very well. Let's, let's see how we can do this then. Let's say we have a man-making contest. To which the scientists replied, absolutely. Yes, do that. So God added, now we're going to do it like how I did in the days of Adam. And so the scientist should, said, sure, no problem, and bent down and grabbed himself a handful of dirt. And God said, hey, go get your own dirt. If you want to do this, you go get your own dirt. Now, if you think about it, we're, we're lost without God. We can't do much without God. We think we can. We think we can outdo God, but God says, you've tried that before. You went down that road why are you going through that road again and again and again? There are battles we face every day, and God says, I called you more than conquerors, not repeaters. I called you more than conquerors. See, there are no victories without God, just, just learning lessons. Some of us, we've, we keep learning lesson after lesson after lesson. Oh, yeah, I know what to do. Oh, yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, I know what not to do. Oh, yeah, I can give you advice. Oh, yeah, this, don't do that because I've done that before, so don't do that. But you're not victorious. You just know the lesson. But God says, I called you to be victorious, to overcome. 
Judges 7-2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So the question is, have you been operating under your own power? Is life under your own power? Is every day under your own power? The decisions you make under your own power, do you justify the decisions you make because you want to? It's just out of your own want, your desire, versus what God's word says. See, it's, it sounds pretty critical at this point, the decisions we make. And it's critical and crucial because it's our life that God is concerned about. So all the battles we face, he says, I want you to conquer that. See, when we are weak, he's strong. But if I run from him, even my greatest strength, I am still weak. I'm still going to be weak. God says to trust him because he sees the battle ahead. Therefore, here's the last thing. And this is what Gideon had to do. He had to choose to worship the Lord. Gideon had to choose that. Even in his, even in his fears, he said, I got to choose to worship God. I got to choose to worship him. See, uh, someone who chooses to worship God puts, puts God first in the highest place before the victory. That we're not worshiping God so that we get the victory. We worship God and because of that, we have the victory. We're not saying, God, I worship you because I need to worship you. Too much stress on my life. I worship you. God, take away the stress. Lord, I worship you because I need more finances. God, I worship you because my, my relationship is not going good. Lord, I worship you because things aren't going well in my life. Lord, I worship you because of that. That's not really worship because God is not in the highest place. Your agenda is on the highest place. Versus Gideon, he said, oh, I, I, hold on, Lord, I'm going to go get an offering. I, I just got to worship you. Gideon didn't even start the victory yet. He didn't even start the battle yet. He just knew he needed to worship God. He didn't say, God, if I worship you, then will you give me the victory? God, if I worship you, then, then will you make sure everything goes well? He just said, I got to worship you. And he did so. God tells Gideon, here's, here's a sign for you to know that I'll hand them over to you. And he says, listen to the men of the Midianite army and listen to what they're saying. In Judges 7.15, and so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Now, that wasn't really accurate in the context of the physical, that the Midianite army was delivered into their hands. Gideon, while worshipping God saw the spiritual, that in the spirit, the Midianite army was defeated, that God did the battle, they were already victorious. So in, an, in, in a, a roundabout way, he could say, the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And so he bowed down, he worshiped the Lord, he bowed down to God. You know, when I first came to church, I had a hard time coming early because I didn't like standing during worship time, I didn't, I didn't like clapping or, or singing songs because I felt weird. And, and then they had the hugging part, you know, when we all greet. And I thought, oh, I don't want to hug people. 
So I'll just hang out outside and I didn't want to come in and I thought, ah, it feels kind of awkward. I don't want, I greet the same people. I told you hi already. You know, just go through all of that in my head and, and then, and then I, with Heidi, I, told, I said hi to you. I got to hug you again. So I was going through all my issues of worship time. And then I began to understand that worship wasn't for me. It had absolutely nothing to do with me. But if I were to pull myself back from God's perspective and he says, worship is for me. Where are you? You're outside. What are you doing outside? Well, I don't want to come in because, you know, I, I don't want to sing songs. To, you don't want to sing to me? No, I just don't like singing. But I saved you. Yeah, I understand. But I don't know. I'm just not comfortable there. But, but that's what I created you for. You don't want to greet each other in my name? You do that every day at work. You do that when you see a friend. You, you don't want to do that in, in the body of Christ. Well, you're going to stay outside? Yeah, because it's more comfortable there. Then when, when, when worship to you is finished, I'll come in because I just want the word. And boy, when God showed me that, I thought, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on why God created me. One, for him, and two, for relationship. It is not good for man to be alone. See, normally, worship is not a reflection of how well things go in here. Worship is a reflection on how things are going in here. And I had to come to the realization that I wasn't putting God first. In every area of my life, I was putting me first, what I wanted, what felt comfortable to me. So when it came to conquering everyday battles, how could I? I wasn't even worshiping God. I wasn't even among the body of Christ worshiping him because of my selfishness. And I had to, I had to say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to be someone who worships you. I don't, I don't care who's around. I'm going to lift my hands to you because I'm victorious in you. I'm going to sing and shout to you because you saved me. From eternal separation from you. I'm not going to care about who's around me. I'm just going to love you and love people. And if you call me to greet people, to love people, maybe, possibly, maybe when I hug someone or greet them in the name of the Lord, healing will take place in their life that I don't even know about it because God is using my hands to heal people. The Bible tells us that to lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. But for some of us, we're saying, I don't want to lay hands because they're sick. So I don't want to lay hands on them. I don't want to hug them. I don't want to be around those people. And so we distance ourselves and God says, you're missing everything I created you for. What, what, what you feed your spirit will always determine how well you'll do on the battlefield. Whatever you're feeding your spirit, that's going to determine how well you're going to do on the battlefield. How well you're going to do in your marriage how well you're going to do in your finances, how well you're going to do in a life-changing decision or with your children or parents or how well you're going to do with your health or job, even with your boss or your spouse, relationships or being in trouble, sometimes even with the law or facing bankruptcy or the overwhelming emotions of a loss of a loved one. Everything will be determined by the health of our soul. Proverbs 21, 31 tells us that the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. See, the, 
The horse is prepared for the day of battle. In other words, we do our part. We get prepared. We do the things that we need to do as being a disciple of the Lord. But the victory is going to be the Lord's. He's going to bring that victory. You don't, you don't have to worry about the victory. And Gideon knew he wasn't the greatest, but he knew he worshipped the greatest. Gideon knew that he was outnumbered, but with God, they were outnumbered. With, with God, Gideon knew that even in his weakness, he's going to be strong because of God. That's why God called him a valiant warrior. And God says, when you're able to become a person who worships me in spirit and in truth, you're on your way to victory. Because as Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And 1 John 5, 4 says, for every child of God defeats this evil world by trusting Christ to give the victory. I want to close with a story that uh, many of us have heard this poem, but it was written by a woman of the name of Mary who was born November 8, 1922 in the Philadelphia suburb of Chester, Pennsylvania. And she had many brothers and sisters, but was still able to maintain her individuality and strong-headedness. And this became even more difficult after the loss of her mother at about age six, which forced her father to raise all eight children by himself. And most of her childhood was spent during one of the, the nation's toughest and most trying times in the United States called the Great Depression. And it was in her early teens when she first wrote her most famous poem, having been inspired by the many things that had affected her young life. And she was so moved by the power of the words, she wrote that she felt she needed to share its meaning with those who could gain strength from it in their time of need. And so at age 16, she got into an abusive marriage that resulted in her flight and finding refuge in an Indian reservation outside of Claymore, Oklahoma. And she took her infant son. Well, she was able to return home after getting word that her husband had gone off to fight in World War II. And during his absence, she was forced to support herself by working at Philadelphia's truck as a stage performer and dancer. But because of this, her husband was able to take her son away from her upon his return from the war using his influence and his, his uh, relationship with the local officials so she spent many years trying to get her son back. So imagine the life that she's living right now. Well, Mary eventually moved to Los Angeles in the late 40s where she met her future husband, Basil Zanger, who, who she referred to as the love of her life. Well, it was at this time that she first saw her poem in print with author Anonymous as the only credit. Well, several attorneys discouraged her from pursuing her claim to it for lack of proof, but her greatest battle was with polio and the accident that almost took Basil from her. So in January of 1980, she lost her husband Basil, a battle, uh, Basil in his battle with heart disease. But Mary continued on her work but, and decided that it was time for change in the season of her life. So she just changed scenery. She moved out of the home she shared with her family for over 25 years. And during, during the move, she came across a, a small forgotten valise, uh, valise filled with many of the poems she had written over the years. Among all of this was a lost copy of her poem, 
that she hadn't seen since moving into the house in 1959. So she decided to pursue her claim to authorship and later in the year was awarded a copyright for her poem. Eleven years later, her 1939 copy of her poem authenticated as genuine by a forensic specialist and said to be approximately 50-plus years old. And this would predate any claims made by others of authorship. Mary battled for many years to gain recognition for creating her poem, which has continued even after her passing in January of 1999. I want to read that poem to you. And here's her poem. And this might relate to you tonight in dealing with everyday battles and overcoming them and conquering those battles. She writes this. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from the sky, from my life, flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there were only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could only see one set of footprints and so I said to the Lord, Lord, you promised me that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there has only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, you have not been there for me? The Lord replied, the years when you have seen only one set of footprints, my child, is when I carried you. And I think that's the Lord's heart all the time. It is even in our most trying times that we may feel the Lord has abandoned us. He's not abandoned us. It, it may be that God is just carrying you. And you just don't feel like you're touching ground. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment as we conclude in prayer. Lord, you have showed us through your word, through the story of Gideon, that it wasn't because of the army of Israel, it wasn't because of their skill, it wasn't because of their ability, their army or strength, but it was because of your spirit that they had gotten the victory. And once we forget that, Lord, we begin with failure. And so many of us give up because of the challenge ahead. But you've shown us tonight, Lord, to trust you regardless of the circumstance in front of us. Oh, there are things we probably need to fix or things that we're reaping as a, as a consequence of our own sin or our own choice, but... Lord, may we never stray away from you. May we always stay close to you. And if there's any sin in us, Lord, and anything that we're doing, Lord, we pray that by your love that you would cast out all fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what may happen. Fear of what life would look like if, if I completely obeyed and followed you. Lord, help us to focus on you rather than what people will say or if people won't understand or 
if when we're following you that people say things to us, let us always look to you and worship you. And even as we do that, you're doing the battle for us already. And so help us to choose to worship you. To have the kind of life that is consistent in our relationship with you. And that we would trust you more than our abilities. Because in our abilities, Lord, we can get lost in it. And it will only leave us empty in the end. But with you, Lord, all things are possible. Because it's not by power nor by might. But it's by your spirit. And you have said that to us. We thank you for calling us victorious. And it's all because of you. Thank you for building us up to be your people. In your precious name we pray. And we all said, amen, amen.